clubhouse. Welcome back to Pod Clubhouse's continuing coverage of the final season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode is a super-sode. It's going, <gasps> yes, it's going to cover episodes 8, 9, and 10. That is Guitar Man, The Hill, and every version of you. These three episodes are the routinely referred to as the Big Three Block. Uh, where they cover the same period of time, but from each of the big three's point of view. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Did you know that all of these episodes were directed by actors from the show? No, I didn't. Tell me more. Guitar Man was directed by Milo Ventimiglia, who has other credits on the show and a few other directing credits to his name, but not a million of them. Okay. The Hill was directed by Mandy Moore. Chrissy Metz gets a writing credit on that. This is Mandy's first directing credit. And the last one, Every Version of You, this is interesting, um, was, it's Randall's episode, but it was directed by Justin Hartley, who has two other directing credits, one other This Is Us and one on Smallville. Fascinating. He was the Green Arrow on Smallville. And was almost Aquaman. Whoa, that would have been different. Yeah. Not, what would we have done without Momoa? No, the TV Aquaman. Aquaman. There is no such thing. <laughs> Aquaman is only Momoa. So please with that. Let's jump right into the shallow end with Kevin. All right. The guitar man and his quest for depth. Yeah, I like the way you put that. So here's my takeaway from the pool. Kevin doesn't want to put in the work to get out of the shallow end and be able to go touch the great. Wants to go right to the great. He just wants to go right to the great and he doesn't put in the work. Now, a teenage version of Kevin, he goes and he touched the great in the deep end. But there was no work. But there was no work because there's no water in the pool. So once again, even at this phase of life, he still hasn't put in the work yet. But there is a moment where it clicks that he at least accepts that about himself. I was kind of surprised to hear him say, like, I'm shallow. Like, I'm not like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not like such a good person like you guys, like all that stuff. I feel like a little bit, Paul, like they were talking to us. Like they were like, okay, Paul. Well, maybe you. Okay. Oh, please. Like you have not been ragging on Kevin for this entire series. I feel like he was like, okay, I get it. All right. I get it. I haven't been doing the work. Then we have adult Kevin, and this was quite satisfying, I thought. This one's called The Guitar Man. Playing guitar takes a lot of work. Kevin just wanted to jump right in. Just wanted to start jamming. He wanted to be like a pro from the start without putting in the work, putting right? Putting in the work. And there's a lot about the way that he works that needs to be seen. Like when he's on the plane in the Thanksgiving episode, mm -hmm. how... He wants to make sure that everybody sees that he's got two babies with him, you know? And that everyone knows who he is. And everybody knows who he is <laughs> and that he's doing two babies by himself. Now, here's the thing. I felt like it wasn't that he thought he was so great and he was going to handle these two babies because it's so easy. I was taking it more like he really had no idea how much work was going into raising these babies. Like, yes, he shows up. Yes, he has time with them. But there is a nanny 
maybe more than one, it sounded like, you know, Madison is working super hard with them. Like he just thought like, I can just take them 24 hours a day with no extra help. And it's just going to be super easy because that's what it looks like. Underestimating the amount of work needed. There you go. Consistent with the theme. Absolutely. Do you suppose that ties in at all to misunderstanding Cassidy's intentions with her approach to building the place and how she has to dig up a part of the the foundation and he gets right on her ass right away because of that? Like there's a there's there's still a flaw with with Kevin where he misunderstands people's intentions right away. Oh, see, I'm going back to our consistent theme. He wants the outcome without doing the proper amount of work. Yeah. Including if you have to dig up the foundation and start over or fix something, that's what you have to do. You cannot just blaze forward and get to the final product. So I think it's the same thing, that 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 argument between the two of them, same outcome. All three of these stories are super layered. So I know we're gonna we're gonna be like kind of taking it down to like the most simple way to look at it. But I think that that's helpful to find the patterns, right? Okay, I agree. When it comes to Cassidy's storyline here, you can easily take it down to this simple storyline or the, the simple idea that we're talking about, which is he expects to get Cassidy to feel better, right? Get whale, right? Says his card. <laughs> <laughs> By simply going through the motions, like I have the flowers, I have the card, and I'm waiting in the waiting room, so therefore, you should be better by the end of this, right? Mm -hmm. The end. Where Cassidy is facing a lifelong chronic struggle with her past, with what she's seen, what her military action has caused all this damage to her psychologically, emotionally, she is never going to be now you're fixed she's never going to get whale right she's going to have good days she could have better days but she is not someone who is just suddenly going to be able to be fixed like he wants everything right Mm -hmm. it's going to be work but it's going to be ongoing work like there is no real true finish line that is a big rude awakening for Kevin. Like when he's sitting there in the in the waiting room, I was like chuckling to myself because I was watching with someone who doesn't normally watch This Is Us. And I was like, oh, do you see this guy he's talking to? Okay, let me explain this episode where like Toby's out in the, out in the parking lot and he's waiting for Kate to give birth and he's like out there and then he has this like very wise conversation with this man who's waiting for his wife who is sick and just has this like huge moment. So I'm sure that this guy that Kevin is talking to in the waiting room is going to turn and have these huge amount of wisdom to impart on Kevin. And that's the pattern with the show. And instead, though, Kevin does all the talking and the man's like, I'm just here for my wife, dude. And I was like, whoa, this is us just like totally rickrolled me like completely. I did not see that coming. When I saw that scene, I felt, Jesus, they're doing that oversharing thing again. God, just, you know, manage your business, bro. And that's kind of the response he got, essentially. Yeah. It's like, you are going to do this growth for you, not for an audience, because the audience doesn't care. You just have to do it because you want to grow. And that's it. And when you say audience, you mean not the people on the plane, not the people in the waiting room, not even for like, you know, what? no no accolades are going to come here. Mm -hmm. You just have to do this because our listeners might think, I'm an audience member and I care about Kevin. So I want to be clear. It's not audience y'all listening. It's no. audience around Kevin. Everyone yes. who he's like the spectacle for. Right? Exactly. He has got to just get it together. And the thing is that 
that's like one of the first times where like the guy on the plane says, I'm like, I don't know who you are. The guy in the waiting room's like, I'm just here for my wife. Like no one is giving him that sign your autograph. I know who you are. Oh, you're so great. Kind of feedback. They're all giving him, like you said, this is your own private matter. And like, you need to deal with yourself. <laughs> and that's feedback that he has not received a lot, but it's starting to click. Yeah. I mean, I think this was a satisfying episode with Kevin coming to this conclusion about the need for the crew of military veterans to become a, you know, a business that he thinks that he can really throw himself into. What do you think about the way they used Cassidy to get him there? And this whole thing where it was, I'm going to say only slightly ambiguous, but for a lot of people, it, they are very unclear that I believe Cassidy tried to commit suicide. Okay. So I read that slightly different. I think you have the same outcome, but what I heard, and you may say this is a distinction without a difference. Okay. Okay. Is that she was driving in a way that was very dangerous when she started heading or careening or skidding or whatever toward the pole. It was more like she was okay with committing suicide. See that the difference between like... We still said committing suicide, so... Well, okay with... Yeah, well, that's the, still the same result. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? It's, it, there's a difference between not like, like recklessly endangering, endangering yourself so that you might die versus I'm trying to die right now. That's the only distinction I, I pulled out of it. You know, I, I don't know that it matters because, you know, you still end up in the hospital, you still end up in right. the hospital. And, and clearly, whether it's through a lack of self-care or a lack of being, like you said, like aware of your surroundings and caring enough to do something to get yourself out of danger versus seeking out to actually do something dangerous. It doesn't really matter. For me, the solidifying moment was at the end when they have the national hotline for suicide prevention. And if you feel like you're going to commit suicide, you know, call this number. Why would you bring that up if it was just, she just kind of lapsed in judgment? That doesn't seem like we would equate that with a suicide hotline call. Fair enough. That's where I was making the distinction. Now, the point of all of that to me was that conversation between Nick, between Nikki and Kevin. When Nikki is so, his face is so distraught about how Kevin doesn't seem to get it. Like he can't seem to remember what Nikki's life looked like when he first stepped into it. You know, like he thought, oh, well, if someone was really going to kill themselves, it would be like blatant, you mm -hmm. know? And, and Nikki's like, no, do you remember? Like I had a gun on the table. Like, you know, I was drinking myself to death. Like all this kind of stuff. Like all the different little examples that he was given was like, Kevin, you're waiting for this sign, but like you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. That's not going to happen. Like you have to sit here and pay attention. And that is how you're going to figure it out. Do you think that was think fair right. of Nikki to, to feel that way? Oh, for sure. Kevin completely discounted the all of what he said until he heard it again. You know, the having gone through that, he might have convinced himself that a veteran 50 years removed from his conflict, still drinking, still suicidal, that all of a sudden now has a girlfriend and has turned a completely new leaf. You know, I was there. I saw him. He's fixed, right? He might be thinking of applying that same kind of logic to Cassidy, where Cassidy's only a couple years removed from her conflict, and she's uh, she's still much deeper in the emotional, you know, throes and baggage of of her post traumatic stress. He needed to rehear those things to help <laughs> those those gears in his head click over a little bit more. That uh, these were all tumblers and the mechanism in his head getting him to think in a way that that wasn't so Kevin-centered. 
I think the line that struck me was when Nikki said, people like Cassidy, they don't give you a heads up when they're not okay. You find out the hard way. I think we associate a lot of things when it comes to suicide or depression as someone appearing weak, someone appearing sickly, or, you know, that that you can tell easily that they're going downhill. And in this case, Nikki's pointing out that like, you know, especially people who are or have a job like Cassidy, where she had to like lie to people and she had to manipulate the situation, then she is trained, like literally trained to put on a front that looks good to the person she's talking to that has nothing to do with what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you really think about that, it's like Kevin has to sit there and just do the work where at some point the hope would be she lets him in a little bit. You know, she starts to talk about those inner feelings in a genuine way, you know, because she has shared. It's not that she hasn't. But some of the stuff that she's still going through is just it's I think it's buried. And she, and every time a little thing pops up, it's overwhelming. And it just seems like, oh, my God, now it's another like memory or another like trigger. She can't sleep, whatever. And it starts to just kind of snowball. What did you think about Kevin picking up the paintbrush again and actually sitting with Cassidy's son and and making this card? Did you did you remember any any history with this paintbrush? Only the the one very abstract painting that he made a long time ago. Only? I mean, my goodness, Paul, isn't that like supposed to be the this is a story? We're all these lines that come and go and we entangle with each other and then some like overlap over here and stuff like I felt like if you just pulled out that one story that he tells about the painting, that's like this entire series. When he explains that and his motivation for making it and his understanding of his work, which, you know, a lot of people don't have when they make abstract work, you know, they just do it. And then revisiting that in this case, because that's more, that was like a tentpole moment in his understanding of the universe outside himself, you know, mm -hmm. and then he went back to busying himself with his, himself. Uh, and now here he is again needing to help this little guy through this moment in his life that's going to be very significant for him. And here he is revisiting that that strategy, you know, that using art to, to work through those feelings and assigning meaning to what you're doing, even though it may look like something that another person won't understand, it still has meaning to you. So that's another tentpole. And that that's why this episode is what it is, is, is it could be a start of a new chapter for him. I feel like we're, we figured out like his little way to tap in to that, uh, you know, that side of him where he can see outside himself. And it seems to be when he is helping someone. So when we're talking about the first painting, it was helping Tess sort through her feelings. When we're talking about this painting, it's helping Cassidy's son sort of, you know, sit there and sort through what's going on and everything. When he was at his best, you know, helping Nikki through everything like that is when he actually like got out of his own way and really blossomed mm -hmm. you know and that that's been satisfying i know you just said that you know like you were kind of like laughing that it's like well it's like finally at the end of the story he kind of comes into his own but i think the story is how they become into their own right that's how stories work yeah you're, supposed, <laughs> right. you're not supposed to be your best self in the middle of the story so it's not like <laughs> sad or anything that he comes into his own at the end of the story because that's what the story was, right? You got me. 
So, okay. So not so weird. Now I have to tell you, Paul, I'm a little ashamed of myself because for whatever reason, and, and I am going to say, I feel I was manipulated by the show and a lot of the fan conversation and everything. Damn you. I had really taken Kevin and put him in this box where every episode, all I'm waiting for is who Kevin's going to marry. Well, that's been a major thrust of what he does. In- okay, but if we simmered that down, if we just took that and was like, okay, like the Alka-Seltzer commercial, like put in some pills and like watch it. There was an entire story for Kevin that wasn't about who he's going to marry. And I feel like it's a little sad that every conversation we've had, probably this entire season... Is it Madison? Is it whatever? Even last season. Oh, my God. He's like, found so, you know, talking to Sophie. Blah, blah, blah. It was like a wool over my eyes. Like, I didn't really get a chance to get to know Kevin because this looming comment that he made where he was like, this year, I'm going to get married and have kids. Remember? Yeah. And after he said that, I seemed to, like, ignore every other aspect of his storyline and only focus on, well, what girl did he seem to be staring at longest this week? Like it was The Bachelor. That's fair. I mean, uh, you often have that same kind of fan discussion with girls. Like, you know, you can't have a Gilmore Girls discussion without a a Rory boyfriend uh, preference coming up immediately. And it comes up a lot. Which is kind of silly because, honestly, there was plenty of storyline about Rory that had nothing to do with Jess or Dean or Logan. Right. There was plenty of other things that were going on in her life. And you're right. Every single time. No one says, like, was she a better writer on the Star's Hollow Gazette or do you say, like, the Yale Daily News? <laughs> or did she do better at Chilton? You know, like, like no. Like, nobody talks about that. Or, like, should, should she have gone to the private school? Should she have stayed in the public school? You're right. There's no team private school, team public school. <laughs> like, no. It's all, like, is it Dean or Jess or Logan? Like I said, I'm a little ashamed of myself that as a reviewer that we only focused on Sophie, Madison, whatever. And I know we're manipulated. Like, I know it. I know. Well, I mean, that the character told us what he wanted. I know, but there was other things that I should have been looking at and trying to track his growth a little bit. If the character said, I want to go to college, wouldn't we keep asking, like, well... Which college, Which college is, is he going to? And then, then finally says, I'm going to trade school. And we'd be like, we're jackasses! <laughs> trade school's fine! <laughs> But here we are talking about college every exactly, week. Exactly, yes. Okay, but I just, I, I really feel like Kevin has had the growth that we had been hoping for for him. That is something that, that I know we had said is he Jack 2.0 with building this business. But in reality, I'm starting to wonder if the big three are really Cassidy, Nikki, and Kevin. Yeah. And that's like a twist that I didn't see coming at all. You know, one other person that I want to highlight in this episode before we move on to Kate and Toby is I want to highlight Edie. As one more of those people who shut Kevin down, who is so new to the family that doesn't know that, oh, we don't do that to most of these kids. We don't shut them down. We kind of like let them do their thing. When she goes over and turns on the music <laughs> to drown out the guitar action. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like really using like some air quotes on whatever he was doing with the guitar. I was like, Edie girl, like you're a breath of fresh air that this group needed, that needed to come in and see it for what it is. I mean, we have Beth, who is an amazing, like tell it as it is, member of the family. Like she's like, well, of course we're going to have drama. But it's only for Randall's ears. 
Very true. With Edie, I love how she can kind of like go around, like how she's interacting with Kevin in a way that I'm like, whoa, we have like some fresh blood here who like sees the nonsense that's going on and is like, and turns it into the super sweet moment with Nikki. Like I'm a complete sucker for slow dancing like that. Like I'm like, oh, (laughs) I loved it. I loved it so much. So all in all, in this first third of our episode, What did you think about Kevin, how he was handled, what the overall growth was, and are you satisfied that it seems like he's going to throw his hat in this veteran construction company ring here? Overall, great progress. Uh, He is still, like I was saying a minute ago, he still jumps to a conclusion with people like he did with Miguel in the in the previous mm. episode and he did with Cassidy in this episode where he's thinking the totally wrong <laughs> thing about their intentions and I'm hoping uh, some more maturity on that will help but um, it's not that he doesn't see it right eventually it's just you know it kind of takes an ass kicking first and then he's okay but other than that like I mentioned the big cog turned which was the idea of creating this veteran-run construction company to keep veterans employed, making houses. You know, one thing that that I think uh, my question, my takeaway from this episode that I'm, I'm going to noodle on for a little bit and I'm going to try to pay attention a little. Maybe um, it's going to have to take a rewatch for me to figure this one out. When Kevin is in the pool mm-hmm. as a teenager and he says, I don't have the right stuff underneath me. I don't have the, and Randall says, foundation. I am struggling a little bit with that line because on one hand, we're like, Rebecca and Jack could not have given these children a better life. Mm -hmm. They have the morals and the values and the love to be wonderful children. So to have Kevin at like 19 be like, I got no foundation for being a good person is a little like, wait, what? I know they want to tie that into the foundation of the house. So I understand the idea of like, you know, the patterns and cycles and circles, right? Yeah. But I take some umbrage. (laughs) That's fair. With the idea that Jack and Rebecca gave this child no foundation. What the what? I think what we're not supposed to do when we hear that is, is scratch too deeply in the nature versus nurture argument that that should arise when you have a a character make that kind of comment because you're right they've been given all the tools one thing about kevin's character that's consistent until adulthood is that there was some kind of resistance to wanting to do it the way he was told there's lots of examples where they were expecting him to do one thing feel one thing and he would do or feel another way and they would just roll with it but that's a fairly consistent aspect of his of his character. It did make me wonder a little bit about how moving into Kate's story, that not unlike Kevin, Kate at that elementary school age was allowed to quit swimming lessons. The two of them were allowed to quit swimming lessons while Randall continued on. He worked for it and continued on. But these two don't seem to have the like the the wherewithal to learn the lesson and do the work when they were supposed to be doing it with all the other little kids. Instead, Kate just wanted to cling on and Kevin just wanted to automatically know how to do it without having to work on it at all. Someday he'll be a man. Oh my God, that line bothered me so much too. Oh my God, Paul, that line was the strangest out of place thing to yell at a pool. 
with a bunch of little kids. Someday he'll be a man. Like, what, Jack Pearson? What? You are like, Captain, like, has a million amazing little sayings and little nuggets and morsels of wisdom. And, like, that's what you yell at your wife at the pool? Like, this is the season where Jack does not have the wisdom. If you remember, there was a oh. few episodes ago where he tried to use, like, the dead birds as a as a metaphor, remember, for another... Was it dead fish or dead birds? I can't remember. But he he didn't have the juice. The Challenger, remember? Uh, it, yeah. It's the dead goldfish. Dead goldfish. But did you just say birds? Or birds. It was, you know, <laughs> the kind goldfish. of animal you flush when you're done. You flush them. a bird? <laughs> well, she did, and she tried to in Poltergeist. I don't know about birds. What? <laughs> Dude, you you lack a foundation. You're over there flushing birds. Good lord. Oh my god. Well, someone who is trying to build a new foundation in her own city under her own terms is Miss Kate. And we are going to have to burst into her storyline right now. Little Kate's whole story is tied up in that one comment where she makes to Jack, why would I want to? Right. Everything that Maybe her problem up until recent times is that, okay, you don't have to do it attitude that she, that she might have gotten for a long time. Why would I, why would I want to? You're going to hold me. You're not going to just drop me here in the water. So it was almost like calling his bluff. Yeah, a thousand percent. Now, I don't know when that exactly changes because I don't know if it's the death of Jack. I wouldn't exactly say it's the situation with Toby because she has risen to the occasion in raising Jack and Haley. So I I would not say that I think that she hasn't gained her own, you know, sea legs, if you will, and and tried to figure it out for herself because she certainly has. You know, I I respect her as a mom of special needs kiddos. I understand what she's doing and and I think that she's working hard. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to say that it goes all the way up to this point. Somewhere along the line, she started to figure out she could do this on her own. But let's talk about that little guy one you said. And then we have the teenage one. Mm hmm. Now, what did you think of that? Like, we got this, like, minuscule amount of effort out of her. Right, but still, ultimately, just quit. I'm referring to trying to get over the fence. She had her brothers spotting her. I chalked it up as maybe she wasn't wearing adequate footwear to be trying to use the chain link fence. Which I appreciate, because I think you could extrapolate that out and say, she's ill-equipped. Right? Yeah. Like, so in this case, she's wearing the wrong footwear. I pointed out to you, I think she's wearing a dress. You know, Maybe. and so I was like, I think a dress over a chain link fence would be hard. And I think you're right. She was wearing like flats or ballet slippy yeah. kind of thing. Difficult to deal with in a chain link fence. I totally agree. So ill-equipped, right? We could say that. Also, total lack of problem solving skills on all of their parts. There's junk laying everywhere. There's so many tables and chairs and things you could stack up to create. I mean, I mean, okay, ready? I This is the first time I thought about this. You get Randall over, you throw some chairs over, and he makes chairs stacked on one side, and you stack chairs on the other side, and all she has to do is climb up to the top of the chair, step over to the other stack of chairs, and climb back down. I just thought of that, Paul, just right this second. There's plenty of stuff there. There was so much stuff there. They basically made zero effort. Kate made zero effort. Well, the boys just basically hopped over like superheroes. <laughs> they were just like, Whoop, and then over. Yeah. Well, okay. So Kate's issues as a teenager, still the same. Minimal effort with ill-equipped Kate. So both natural-born Pearsons, trouble with effort. Yeah. Feeling like they have the skill set. 
to be able to problem solve. I don't know what that is. So are we are we looking at Jack and Rebecca? Like maybe y'all are not really that great of parents. First, I'm, not. I'm going back to that. Why'd you let them quit the YMCA lessons? Well, what the heck was that? What kind of lack of parenting was that? It's unsafe. Unsafe. For Ridiculous. One. Yeah. <laughs> it's egregious. <laughs> okay. Let's get into Katobi because this is a whole That's world. That's a mess. <laughs> Damn, Paul. I mean, I was happy at the very beginning of this how we had that little bit of Madison and Kate to remind us of their friendship and remind us how Madison even came into the storyline. Right. And Haven't that, seen that in a while. That brought us this entire fight club. Tyler Durden and the head Toby. What's a head Toby? Well- Oh, you mean like a mental Toby? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. In, Battle, in, in Battlestar Galactica, there was a, a character named Six who would just uh, appear to another character. Okay. And, we, and she got to be known as Head Six as opposed to all of the other Sixes because they're robots, of course. Oh, there can be toy. lots of Sixes. There's many copies. They tell you at the beginning of the show, Caroline, okay. there's many copies. Gotcha. Anyway, um, so- Head Toby is this idealized Toby, the Hawaiian shirt, fun-loving. Yeah. Okay. And also patchy hair Toby. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that's, patchy that's wig. That's the worst way to go bald that way. <laughs> a lot of patchy wig. Okay. So I don't think I remembered original Toby until he was there making these jokes. And then to see the clenched jaw of now Toby... And the, and the stern looks and these laser eyes he would talk to Kate with that I was just like, what impressive storytelling to have this head Toby, as you call him, be there to remind audiences because it's been a couple of years. Now, one thing that I really want you to hit on is when you pointed out the number of years we're talking about. Well, I was thinking about it and comparing it to the only, you know, mature relationship I have in my life, which is with you and how we met much younger than them, but still, I'm just going to call it apples to apples, even though it's quite not. We didn't get married until four and a half, five years after we met. And then we had kids a couple years later, and I was comparing that to the whirlwind time frame of Kate and Toby, how they've only, this show is only in the sixth season, right? Right. So, and they do it in real time for the most part, with the exception of, of course, our flash forward. Right. So they've only been married a short amount of time. And in that time, not only have they had a kid, but they adopted another kid. This is a relationship on hyperspace compared to what I know. And so they are putting through a lot. And they're going to, we already know, they're going to be divorced pretty soon. Think about that. They go from meeting, falling in love, married, kid, adoption, divorce in six years. It seems boggling to yeah. me. I mean, it, it, when you pointed out the time frame, I was like, these two never had the wherewithal then to make it through. And again, speaking of time frames, when they say Toby's been away for three months, 12 weeks, kids, 
12 weeks and this is enough. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and again, I guess because you and I have been together for 20 plus years, I have like this way longer view of like, if you can't hold your shit together for 12 weekends to the point where you're like, this family is over. Like, I'm not talking about like, is it exhausting? Is it hurting your heart? Do you want to find better ways to deal with it? That's all acceptable. But this family is over because of 12 weekends. <laughs> it's like, y'all, what are you doing? You have brought this little baby into the world. You've adopted another little baby into your family. And you are going to bust their family up after trying for 12 weeks. That was the uh, audio equivalent of air quotes. Yeah, I did it. I was like, trying. Did you hear that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am flummoxed about these two. Like, I am beyond annoyed at both of them because of all of the time we just spoke about and the serious nature of Jack's disability and the serious undertaking of adopting a baby into your family to give them a stable, loving home. The seriousness of those two things. And to be so blasé about busting the family. Like over a weekend, y'all decide. We'll get there, but it comes down to that ultimatum. Now, here's the thing. Was there a lot of things that, that were layering on? A thousand percent. Don't get me wrong. Definitely, we can go back. We can look at Lady Kryptonite. We can talk about Toby's weight loss. There's a lot of things for us to unpack here. And we really have to because this is such a show-altering situation where we are busting two main characters. We're not just arguing. We're busting them up and we're changing the family dynamic. And we're going to be bringing in a new dude <laughs> into the family, a new dad, that, I mean, we have to try to figure this out a little bit. So first of all, I have to ask you, Paul, Toby or Kate, whose side did you initially fall on? Quick answer is Toby, but I need to qualify that. Okay. If you remove certain parts of the arguments, then... As the person in our house who works outside the home and has all of these outside the home concerns that rest only on me to figure out, and then I bring home the things that affect home, but the things that happen at work are up to me. Uh, and he's dealing with those same kind of things. I guess she is too, to an extent. Um, but he's supposed to be the breadwinner in this situation. So there's supposed to be some consideration as a family paid to that. And so I wanted to hear his side of it. And he was, through the writing, allowed to make several decently good points. It's just they were wrapped in all this other bullshit that he did that soured the effectiveness of what he was saying. Before we move into that, mm -hmm. I'll ask you, who did you side with? Okay, so my initial gut instinct of the whole thing was I fell on the side of Kate. And the thing about that is that... I don't necessarily love Kate as a character. I do find her very frustrating. She can be you know, very whiny and complainy. And again, like I, I was saying before about her teenage version, like never can seem to problem solve. 
But I think she really came into her own as a mom. And I think as I saw her grow and change and research and be such a great advocate for Jack and, you know, becoming a fixture at the blind school, like there was a lot of things that I saw that was like, this is not the flaky, wishy-washy, can't figure out life Kate that we have had in previous seasons. This person is committed to being a great mom and like seeing her food prep and all those things like there was just so much that I felt like she had been able to stay calm throughout and you know one of my biggest beefs about Toby way back now was his initial response to Jack's blindness and his complete lack of connection seemingly you know Mm -hmm. only when we had that moment when he's like oh he sees a little bit of the Christmas lights Did he finally accept some version of Jack being like his son? But before that, he was like super just hands off camp. mm, I don't know. And this was during his whole gym phase. It's difficult because they tied those things together not to get into the weight loss portion of it all and how that like inflated his ego and made him a very different person in some way, but with the same trait, like when he yelled, you fell in love with a coping mechanism having to do with goofy, silly, fun Toby. I feel like everything he does now, all of his like super type A, being like all, all over about the food, being like super fastidious about work. That's just a different coping mechanism. You mm-hmm. know, like he wants right. this life. So he's doing these things now. Like, what do you think CrossFit is? <laughs> <laughs> As a as a previous CrossFitter, I can say there's a lot of people working out their problems there too, Tobes. So it's not it's not all like you can't just put it under this like it's all healthy now because I'm a smaller waistline. Is it though? I mean, he's taking phone calls left and right and has been this whole season and can't even go pick her up. Oh my god, let's start with that. Can't even stop to pick her up. He could have taken an Uber himself and been on the call the whole freaking time and picked her up and then gotten off the phone. Like, my heart broke in half when he was like, I can't meet, I can't pick you up at the airport. I was like, already, I'm like, I'm canceling my trip. (laughs) Like, if you can't figure this out, I'm already like not a priority this weekend. So, a little work party. A work party? The lamest of all parties? Thumbs down. (laughs) I mean, I understand they wanted, you know, to meet, you know, his coworkers and stuff. But uh, so freaking boring, so lame, Paul. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to draw attention to with regard to Toby's behavior is that he's, they don't make a point of it, and she didn't really call it out, but he has a consistent problem with honesty. Oh, do, yeah. Like you mentioned Lady Kryptonite, that was surrounded by weeks of lying about where he was and what he was doing. Right. You know? Right. He When he uh, went off his meds and how he was feeling, now I can sympathize with that to an extent, having been in similar situations and wanting to be strong for the people around you that are counting on you. But there's also a certain level of dishonesty that goes into creating that image that you just hope works one day. But the trouble is that kind of medication doesn't wear off fast enough, (laughs) so it always catches up with you, you know? I think I could probably think of another couple of examples. Well, let's talk about, let's get, let's get into the weekend a little bit. So, so again, when I was saying he's got this type A thing, like the fact that he's like, okay, I planned everything. We're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this. 
one hand of me is like, wow, super thought out, very considerate, right? Because it sounded like activities she would like. And the other part of me was like, it doesn't seem to match up with Kate because like this whole Katobi, like we like to be a little more freewheeling, a little bit more silly, a little bit more whatever. And this is a kind of a regimented weekend. All of what he had planned and showing her and did seemed to revolve around a misunderstanding of her, their relationship, you know, understanding <laughs> what, would be fun? <laughs> what, what, yeah, all those things. Right. But just his connection to her and not getting it. Well, and a lot of the activities definitely felt, you know, manipulative to like, we have to make her want to be in San Francisco. Like this is the option I want her to choose. And so I'm going to make activities that, you know, seem to make sense to that. Like we're going to surround her by people who gush over, you know, around her about the job, you know, mm -hmm. what a wonderful person Toby is and, and all that kind of stuff. But the, I got to get to the house because for me, I was pretty cool with the majority of what was happening even the like 20, we have 20 minutes before the person's coming. Let's have sex. And Bob, I, I was like, oh God, like that's the way we're starting the weekend. Like they haven't had sex in like a long time. And then they, they are going to kind of squinch it in. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, alrighty. I'm like not really high on this situation. But then takes a work call. Awkward AF, right? With the house. Now with my partner, if I presented her with some of those facts, I think my partner, Caroline, would be appreciative. She'd be like, hey, thanks for working out some of this stuff so that we have something to talk about. Now, I think where you go past the line is maybe appraising the old house. I'm not sure with you where the line would have where been. Where my personal line yeah. would be? Mm, okay, let's talk about Because you that. like to have... Well, you know, I like to walk houses. So so straight up, like I would have been like, this is a fun activity. Where's the, do you have like a floor plan layout I can look at? Like I would love to go check out a house and see, to get an idea. Cause right, cause I'm supposed to be checking out the city. So I would, it would be nice to know like, okay, so how much would a hundred thousand dollars buy? How much would a million dollars buy? What, what does this city, how far does my money go? I personally like houses, so it wouldn't feel so scary. Now the house though represents leaving LA, leaving the old life, leaving the house behind. So you're right. The rub would come once you start talking about selling the other house. Mm -hmm. Because at first, I'm all on board. Like trampoline, fun, cool house. I love it. This is great. The furthest line was the loan pre-approval. I would have 100% giving you the stink eye like, wait, 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 wait. I'm pretty sure you had to give someone my like social security number and like driver's license and like all kinds of stuff to be getting into loan pre-approvals. And like you're that far down the road when all I wanted to do was see the sights of San Francisco and spend some time with you and get an opportunity to like see anything about what your life is like here. Like I haven't even seen your apartment. I don't even know where you sleep at night kind of thing. There's there's a there's ambushing, which is just, hey, let's there's this house I like. Let's go take a look. See, I think that's just sharing. See, just like I run past here every day. Then the house went on the market. I just wanted to show it to you so that we can, like I said, just have an idea of the market. Like, well, what even having does a few facts. Like? You know, yeah. I, I mean, this is that the realtor. That doesn't feel like an ambush to me. Okay. Like, that didn't feel bad. All right. Let's it's, get our terminology straight A here, little people. bit, yeah, because the ambush part came when you said, like you said, like getting the the appraisal of my house, my house in LA, you appraise my house. And then 
now you got pre-approval for us without even talking to me about it? Like, oh man, I, I would feel, I would really, I, I think for one thing, I don't like to be told what to do, right? No. Mm-mm. So this would really start to make me feel like I was getting backed into a corner. And I think that that, that gets the hair up on the back of your neck. That's for sure. Well, and I think that you could see it in Kate's eyes. Like her eyes went like, boing, like, hang on a second. Like this has gone so much further than I'm comfortable with. And of course it just gets so much worse, right? We just find out more and more and more about what Toby's doing. When you go back to that dishonesty portion mm-hmm. and you talk about the fact that he just omits facts, the job offer in LA not sharing it with her. And then when feet to the fire, she says, tell me the money amount that it was different. And he never spills the beans on a money amount. Honestly, we would probably, I would like hold you there until you told me the money amount. Like we wouldn't, I'd be like, not, not talking about anything else. Money amount. Like, nope, not, not moving from this point because I would want to seriously know and she put it in wording that was like, how much are you basically selling our family? You know, blah, 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 kind of for. But I would need to know, like, what was going on. Now, bigger picture, Toby has been laid off before. Our family has experienced layoffs before. There is no way that I could take you seriously if you looked at me and said, if I don't work at ConocoPhillips in Houston, <laughs> Texas, this family is over. Because I feel valued there. I would look at you and be like, until they do layoffs, dude. And then who are you running home to? Conoco or Phillips? Who's taking you <laughs> in? Because are you kidding me with this? Like you're gonna you're going to sell me out for a company you've been with for 12 weeks. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, that ultimatum, Paul. Talk to me about the money. The hiding of the job and the ultimatum, because I'm pissed. <laughs> the, the the money part of it, these are two expensive places to live, but you can find research that shows that San Francisco is the most expensive place to live. I think maybe Boston is, they trade back and forth for who's the most, but it's not LA. LA is expensive, I'll give you that, but not it's not San Francisco. And when they showed the view and they made us, you know, mention the view, I think that means he lives in a relatively expensive apartment. Okay, wait, was that like corporate housing? Or you think he like rented that apartment? Because I, I, that was a little unclear to me. Because you're right, like if he chose that place, then this is definitely, again, like brand new person. Wow, that you chose this place. It could be corporate housing. Okay. I'll give you that. Because it seemed kind of sterile, right? He didn't specify. It wasn't now. Nah, everything was vague with Tobes. The fact that he did not bring up the exact amount, though, and he relied on this idea of needing to make the maximum amount to support Jack and his special needs, as a parent of of special needs kids, I'll tell you, the money does unlock certain things, but states are willing to pay for certain other things, including schooling and glasses and teachers of the visual impaired and those other kinds of therapists that you need to learn how to use canes are called orientation mobility therapists. All that stuff comes through the county and the, and the state. But is that worth supporting these households or living in, in a more expensive place to live? I don't think so. 
I don't necessarily think so. All of the other stuff that he argued didn't matter. It was that feeling valued at work thing. That was the only thing that he said that was 100% true. Now, should Kate have already recognized this element of the change in his personality? Probably. That was one of the things that they that they did a favor for Toby's writing was coming up with some points that were good. That was one. Um, but ultimately, they stacked, like you mentioned in the episode, they stacked the deck against him pretty good with the lying and the money part. I mean, just the, the money part. He was never clear. The difference could be something that she was willing to live with, but she never got the chance to make an argument or even pit, chip in to the, to the decision-making process. I don't think that any healthy relationship can really work like this. I understood the line where he says, you know, this sounds funny to say, but as your husband, don't you want me to be happy? I would say yes, period, because I won't even say but, yes, period. Also, I want to be happy and I want to know all the information in order to make a decision together. So the fact that he has omitted information, he's withholding information at this point. And like you said, good point about the dishonesty throughout. Like he's not really had an easy time telling her what's going on. He's leaving her in the dark. And then he's expecting her to make a decision basically overnight about what their life's path's going to be. Now, again, we haven't even piled on the side that Kate works at a blind school. Does right. Jack have support? Yes, he does. It's already built in, bro. Jack has access to things like Braille readers and, and all types of things, music, Braille music, everything. Like he would have access to all of those things, plus the professionals, which is like he's talking about the actual devices when people are one of the biggest resources that you need. You and I toured several schools across the country, and one of the only places we visited was Los Angeles Children's School for the Blind. And so there's a school <laughs> right there. Now, I did my research. There are resources in San Francisco. So it's not that there are not blind resources there. It's not super close by, though. Not really. But within the story, even if you didn't know, like, the actual geography of where blind schools are located, we know she works at a blind school. So just, like, take it from there. Also, she has been asked to be a medical decision maker for her mother who is passing away in the near future. And you're asking her to move away from that's this is the only like one of the only reasons why Rebecca lives in Los Angeles. Right, exactly. Is to help Kate and was there through the NICU, went to the blind children's workshop with her to the weekend, is like learning has been hands-on, has been helping. What in the world, Toby? Like, again, one of your biggest resources as a as a family that has special needs kiddos in it are the people and the safety net that you have. And you're asking her to move to a place where you have people, but she has no people and expecting her to figure it out. Now, one of the activities we saw she loves to do with the kids is go for a walk to the park. And that becomes an actual geological conversation <laughs> because San Francisco is not really a friendly walking area. This is a huge issue because they have Jack, who's blind, who likes to take walks to the park. This would be hard for him to do. They decide, you know, they have to wait for the car because Toby has complete doubts that Kate could walk the hill. 
I'm, my heart's just like bursting because I'm, I understand that Toby has made himself better in his mind. He's a better version of himself because he is physically healthier because he weighs less. However, I feel like his ego and his demand for control of a situation, it has made his head so big he weighs the same on the scale. <laughs> you know, another thing that we talked about that they didn't mention, but I could see playing a, a large part would be that San Francisco feels in the Pearson world unclaimed outside of their influence, mm -hmm. where L.A. has a strong Kevin vibe. Right. They have not interacted well in a long time, those two. And as recently as Thanksgiving, Kevin says, take the hat off. Yes. His reaction to the um, idea of Kevin's compound, you know, when he first brought it up, and Kevin's offer of generosity, that's fine. Okay, you turn that down. But I think that's stuck in his head. We've seen this with other husbands in particular in the real world where they insist that their wife has too close a relationship with their family and that they come up with this magical solution of moving far away so that they can, I'll use the word cleave Oh my them. God, I was just going to say, what did, what did they always say? Cleave, cleave them might from those attachments. We might, we might have had a specific instance <laughs> outside of our own home where cleave was being used. That's the only time we heard the word, but that's not the, I think, the only time we've seen that take place in a family. I think you're right, 100%. They didn't bring it up here. But would you be surprised if it came up in the coming episodes that deal with the pending divorce? Well, I think there was only like one sentence where he's like, and you get to live with your brother. There was a stink there was on that, that, that statement. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously there was like big, long, stink smelling lines for <laughs> sure. Right. Yes. I mean, you guys, I feel like we could sit here and tear apart like every single sentence in this argument because so much of it is relatable. I think they did a beautiful job of writing it back and forth. And like you said, Chrissy Metz gets a writing credit on this. I feel like they did a good job of making you feel like you could find yourself in either position. You could find your dream job in a city you adore with coworkers you love and feel so happy and so satisfied when you go to bed at night. And you could be the person who finds her calling, you know, with music and helping children who, who are blind and raising your own children with special needs and having, a, you know, an adoptive child and a, and a family life and be happy and satisfied and go to bed with a smile on your face like, it's the this is us, both things can be true. How do you deal with this now? For me, <laughs> this is suffering from the same thing that Deja and Malik are suffering for, what we talked about a couple weeks back. What is with the time frame? Why do we have to rush to decide whether someone moves here or whether we get divorced or whether we do like we don't actually have to do anything. We can just continue to have trips back and forth. We can kind of just chill the fuck out and try to just talk about this. But like, we don't have to go to zero to 60. You know, this has been something that I think is going on this season that has kind of bothered both of us, right? Yeah. Like it was like, why does the choice have to be Malik and Deja either have to, you know, get married or never talk again? <laughs> like, why are those the only two choices? You know, I don't understand. And that's, I think this situation, especially when 
you dissolve it down to this moment of like, this has only been five or six years total. And all these things happened. And they're willing to walk away from each other after 12 weeks of having this separation from one another. You didn't, you made a super good point that dishonesty goes way back though. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. There are cracks in the armor and Kate has no picnic. Kate has no picnic. I don't want to be throwing like all this mud all over Toby. Kate is difficult to deal with. She's got a lot of her own insecurities and a lot of issues, but good Lord. I mean, <laughs> pump the brakes. It became clear that it wasn't necessarily a given that he was coming home on weekends anymore. Yeah. That's, I think, where you need to apply the brakes on how things were getting to this point where you weren't connecting anymore. So waking up and coming up with an all or nothing ultimatum that you just deliver casually over a cup of coffee. Yeah. But it, also not in the heat of the moment, which I think was like kind of fascinating because I think a lot of people would have been in that argument the night before, got butt hurt about old Toby talk. Oh, you've been like imagining this old Toby. Well, you know what? We decide this weekend whether we make or break, right? Like it's just like a like a knee-jerk comment you make. That the next day you typically say, "Oh god, obviously we can take our time making this decision, right?" But no. That man slept on this, came back and said, "I know what I want to say." <laughs> and this is it. <laughs> I mean, what? What, how would you respond to that ultimatum? Like flip the table. Negatively, badly. Does uh, anyone respond good to an ultimatum? I thought we were picking back up with calmer heads and trying to work through the problem. I wasn't, you know, you don't hand me a one-sided answer, you know, in, in the middle of the discussion and say, that's it. That's the only way forward uh, and get a very positive response. I would guess you wouldn't. No, <laughs> no, and you wouldn't either. Oh, I think we well established that I don't like to be told what to do. So, yeah, I mean. It is a running please. pattern. I'm pretty positive if you had said that, I would respond with my middle finger, <laughs> which you enjoy so much. <laughs> and I would be like, I might even give you like double bird on that. And Whoa. be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might even put one behind my back as I walked away. That many birds would be coming your way. Yeah, ultimatums. Just what? Oh. Toby. It's because they need to get us not liking Toby. I know. Quickly. I know. But but to all the audience members who feels like this is whiplash, Paul made the best point. The guy has been dishonest for a long time in a lot of important situations, and yes. His health is important. The choices that he made are important. The things he's doing are important. But I swear to God, when there's like that cliche of like, you know, on your deathbed, you never say, I wish I spent one more day at work. <laughs> right. Right. Or the other one, the day after you die, they're going to have a new guy in your spot at work. No one is going to blink an eye about right. the fact that you didn't come into work the next day. For him to throw in with a company he's been with for three months over his family, I well and off the deep end. I mean, you could read into like the owner of the company. What was it? He got rich from selling another company or something like that. Yeah, so, selling something to Google, right? So, I mean, yeah, he just made this face at me like, D -d -d this, right? This company could be sold tomorrow. Exactly right. Exactly I, right. But I mean, that's just like. I mean, how old are you? I mean, you don't get to be 40-something 
the man's been laid off before. You don't get to this point where you think, you know what? I think the company loves me more than my wife and children. <laughs> Despite the fact that I have toddlers, I think my coworkers and my fantasy basketball team deserves my attention. Like, come on, Toby. I mean, how are how are you really supposed to like him when it's like these are the two sides of the seesaw? That's like, that's why I said at the beginning if you strip away some of the other stuff, he did have a couple of reasonable points that I could get behind. But then you add in the other stuff and he's not supportable. One of the things that we have to also continue to remember is that with that Kevin pressure of that like unlimited cash resource, Toby definitely took a side on that about how he needs to make more money. Yeah, right. And so he's equating everything in dollar bills because you and I made such different decisions. Now, here's the thing that I find fascinating about the two of us right now sitting here and what people listening might not ever really realize. We both grew up in families that moved for jobs. Your family moved a lot for jobs. Mm -hmm. Anytime your dad got an offer, you guys went and you moved all over the country. My parents saying was you follow the money. That's the literal quote. I could cross stitch on something. You follow the money. That's where you move to. Because they came from nothing and that was their only choice was you if you don't follow the money, like you're staying exactly where the money isn't <laughs> in your station of life where you're never going to grow or, or do anything. So they did that. Now, on the flip side, because of our circumstances with our children and their needs, we made a radical, completely different decree, which was you would turn down job opportunities or promotions that required travel because with three kids, so you guys, for those of you who are just joining us, we have children who are twins and then we have a third child who is 10 and a half months younger. All three of them have special needs. We have autism, deaf blindness, Tourette's, we've got ADHD, we've got all types of visual impairment in the mix. And all of that for me was like, I can't be a mom by myself. Like I can't parent alone. I can't handle all this alone. And even with a great support system, I can't have you gone five days a week. Like that's not going to work. So we actually like dialed back the importance on money and threw all of our eggs in. It's more important to physically be here basket than it would be for the money. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you feel like that's worked out for you long run versus like short run? And I know you guys, this is obviously super personal. So, you know, Paul can choose to share whatever he wants here. But I would love to hear what you have to say about that. Well, I'm never going to be president of the company. It took me a while to adjust to that idea that whatever my ambitions were versus my realities and how they how they adjusted the priority that I put on work needed to fit with what I wanted with my role in the family to be, you know, in terms of coming home to a nice home that wanted me to be there and, and those <laughs> kinds of things. Right. And doesn't imagine a different man in your spot. Yeah. So a um, head man, <laughs> right. a, a head, head, a head husband, head Paul. Right. right. It's interesting how first millennials and then Gen Z have introduced new ideas to the workplace where the workplace is having to catch up with the workforce and they're growing indifference to who they work for because 
they know. Somehow they were born knowing about layoffs and that loyalty doesn't count for what it used to with the company and, and all that. And and it's interesting because we kind of reached a different way of getting there, but similar conclusions through layoffs and different job opportunities and that kind of stuff. We have that same sort of, they come, they go, we'll do our best in the meantime kind of, kind of approach. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, we live in Houston and that this is an oil and gas town. And this is a situation where, you know, when things are good, things are very, very good. And when things are bad, everyone's looking for a job. Everyone. There's mass layoffs at every company all at once because we're all one industry for the most part here. When gas prices and things fluctuate, it affects our families like across the board, our entire communities selling their houses, our entire communities buying brand new cars, just depending on which way it's all going right then. So we've been there. And I think that's that was what was kind of hurting my heart to watch the Toby situation go down to be like, Toby, your industry is IT. It is so generic. Paul's like closing his eyes and shaking his head. It is so generic, the actual job, but then also the geography of where you can work. Like for oil and gas, you can't just like pick a state and go work in oil and gas. Like right. there has to be the industry there. And it's you know, Iowa or a bust. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but for IT, sincerely, I mean, he could be anywhere. And guess what? Like you said, the turnover for things like a tech company, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. About people buying and selling and, you know, having a new startup the next week. And I, oh my God, Toby, I'm really floored by this choice. Now, here's one thing to note. We've seen the flash forward mm-hmm. and we've seen the bed that he sleeps in right now in this apartment. And we've seen the bed that he sleeps in now. Well, I know it's a big bed. It's not the same bed, though. I recall the flash forward being a big bed. Right. But my point is, he's not still living in that apartment, Uh, kicking ass somewhere. Right. By the looks of things. That looked like a different bedroom than the bedroom they were in. Now, people may laugh and say, no, 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 no. That was the exact same nightstand. Y'all go back and go take a look. Maybe it is. My point is, he's loving life in this super static situation where he wants things to be like, boom. And he, we know he's not going to be in that situation 10 years from now. Turtleneck Toby. Toby. (laughs) You know, I have to say, and here's a funny thing. Paul and I have been on both sides of the scale on weight loss and weight gain. We have both lost a ton of weight. We have both gained weight. Lord, the pandemic has been wreaking havoc on us. We've both been at goal weights. We've both struggled with our weight. So... There is something psychological about losing weight and getting to some sort of goal weight that does make you feel, I'm going to say, like a god. Like suddenly you can command the scale, right? No one else can. There's a superiority about it. There is. And why I want to hit on that, and I'm thankful that both of us have been in that position so that it's not like a one-sided conversation. There is something a little messed up about the superiority complex that comes with that. Because I see it in Toby. I see his disdain. I see him look up that hill and look at Kate and be like, Burr. you know? Mm-hmm. I, I see, you know, of course we've heard all the food conversation he's had with about the children and all that kind of stuff. But 
what's up? Like, what uh, do you see it in Toby? Do you see that? Like, I am better than everyone because I've lost the weight. You know, we always laugh. That was called the weight, like with a capital T. Have you lost the weight? (laughs) (laughs) That's a a whole conversation in our house for like a long time. I think there's a, an initial boost that comes with losing quote the weight, but there's a certain amount of superiority that you that builds by keeping quote the weight off. Mm, which isn't even that's a whole different ego boost, right? It is that it you've is. kept the weight off. Yes, it is. So okay, why I mention that is because. Again, the whole like coping mechanism portion of like, you fell in love with a coping mechanism, da, 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 right? The goofy, fun-loving one. I feel like there are things that he does that is the coping mechanisms that keep him where he wants to be right now that we're just not talking about. I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not a trained TV psychologist. You're not? No. Oh, God. Um, but does Conco Phillips know? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, I mean... Most people exist in a state that I, I'm going to take for granted as, as knowing that there's some amount of flaws about them. Some they are, they're addressing, some they're just like, well, no, <laughs> I'm not dealing with that this right is us. now. Right. But more or less, you think you're okay. The trouble with Toby is that he seems to be at a pinnacle, I guess, where not only does he think he's okay, but he he might not even know where those improvement areas are. Oh, I think he's, he, he is in that uh, my shit is ice cream, you know, stage of his growth. Now, a trained TV psychologist <laughs> might be able to tell you what exactly is, is wrong with that, you know, clinically and, and why that's a worse place to be because you can't recognize the difference between your okayness and not anymore. I don't remember this exactly, so please forgive me, listeners, if I have this wrong, but isn't he bipolar? I thought it was just straight up hardcore depression, I but it could I be bipolar. I only thought that because I thought he had these like kind of like really high highs, and then you'd be like, oh my God, like when he's off the meds and all this stuff, like he would just like plummet. And we would see this kind of wave with him. Now, maybe he's not clinically diagnosed as bipolar. However, what I'm trying to say is that, again, he's only been with this job for 12 weeks. So he's on this high, high, but it's been very short-lived. So is this sustainable? Is he going to, you know, he's the new guy in the office right now, right? Yeah. When the next new guy comes, is he just going to float to be the guy who no one wants to talk to about what you do for your job? Like the other dude, you know, he claims that being the goofy, funny life of the party was a coping mechanism. He looked like a good time Charlie at that work event. You know, hey, everybody, what you talking about? Like all that stuff he's doing with the other coworkers? Yeah. I don't know, Tobes. You seem like to be able to slip into that character whenever you want to. You're just yelling at Kate that that was a fake personality you put on. So what gives? Like who is Toby Paul? Who is he at the end of the day? He's a charlatan. (laughs) I don't know what he is. I'm not sure he knows what he is. Again, let's get back to Kate. This is Kate's episode. She has some amazing growth here. She really figures out, you know, that whole scene with her walking to the park with little Jack and Haley singing their little park song when when Jack goes to the left. (laughs) So cute. They see neighbor Gregory. I love that he's back. All these little things to my mom heart was like, I see a whole life here. I see a support system. I see nurturing. I see, of course, hard days. Of course, don't get me wrong. I see long hours. I see tired eyes. But 
I see them when they showed the little montage of them like playing games and doing little activities together and having lunch together and all the things like I respect what Kate is doing and I understand why trying to recreate that would feel daunting. And without her mom and Miguel, without Kevin and her best friend Madison, like let's not forget that's her best pal, not just Kevin's mama baby. Got to cleave baby that mama, shit. Baby mama, baby mama, yeah, you got to cleave that shit, Paul. Apparently, <laughs> I don't think cleaving's gonna work for that girl. How proud were you when you saw Kate actually look up that hill and be like, you know what? I'm gonna test myself now. Can I do something that I know for a fact Toby thinks I'm incapable of? Well, it's a tough test. I mean, people don't choose to walk those hills if they can help it. Well, even the extras they had walking the hills were kind of like staggering, like zombie style up the hill. Right. <laughs> it made you wonder how many times they made them do that for the clip. This episode was called The Hill. There we had the metaphorical hill where she has to get to the point where she's putting in this effort that she wasn't as a younger kid. Now, we've seen her make that transition already. So that wasn't really the big thing. This was more like getting back to Rebecca's don't make your life smaller comment. Right. Which is, of course, the spring point, the springboard for all of these three episodes. Her life would definitely be getting smaller by moving to San Francisco. Like you just mentioned, she has this gigantic support network in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. The cleaving would cut all that off. And not only that, but she would no longer say, Toby is my husband. She would become Toby's wife, which is a whole thing. I had also like to point out, this is the hill Toby decides to die on. <laughs> True. True. So here's the hill. I mean, I didn't know if she was going to make it. I assumed she was going to make it. No, And maybe I expected her to have to stop more actually along the way. But she just, she was slow and steady. She got up that hill. And at the top of that hill, when she calls Philip and he's trying to make jokes, right? And she just steamrolls him and is like, he's still actively making the joke. And she's like, is that job opening still available? Because I want in. I was like, whoa, like you doubled down on this because not only do I know you're going to go back and say I ain't moving to San Fran not only that but like you're like really going to go full time at work which is going to change your dynamic at home again you're ready to take on like a more breadwinner slash part-time caretaker really in some ways because she's going to have to start sharing that which makes me wonder what that's going to look like that's not something we ever really managed to shift to when the kids were that little so I'm curious if we're even going to get it going to get there. Now, Paul, the scariest moment that actually begins Randall's story is when Toby says the smoker is going to be here in time for the anniversary party. <gasps> yeah, they've set up the smoker. The as, green egg of death. As being symbolic to the thing. That was going to symbolize the end of the of the marriage. It's almost like the to make that classic, announcement, though, Paul. The classic thriller setup where the audience <laughs> knows the egg know, is being delivered. Right, the gunman is already <laughs> in the house or oh whatever. God. Like, oh my god! And I have to say, you guys, watching the preview for the following week here after we're going to discuss Randall. Don't worry, but I want to finish this one out. And seeing the green egg and seeing Toby and Kate, especially Chrissy Metz, sells that, Jack, where are you? The My heart like broke in half. 
And to see that little boy walking on that sidewalk. Oh, Paul, I just sent you that clip and was like, no words. In our previous home, when we had a blind baby that size, Caroline had the foresight to think that this kind of event could happen in a house with so many people coming and going, therapists, babysitters, parents, whatever. So while they were still small, she had installed an iron cage <laughs> around the front door because we had a front stoop that could support it. It didn't look weird. It didn't didn't look like it didn't fit not fit in the neighborhood stylish. the people that bought the house love it it sounds really hilarious to say a cage all i did we put like an iron gate like yeah. on the porch so i closed in the side it was of the like porch, an airlock and i <laughs> and i closed in the side and it had a uh, keyless entry like combination lock you couldn't just do the handle so i and same with our backyard like we had like a regular fence but then i added lattice work that took it up to the roof line because because so she was a crawl, she was a climber. She, uh, Lauren's name sign is like the letter L, like climbing, because she was a climber. And I was like, this kid, she is such an adventure seeker. She is going like we literally. I have a video of her climbing our curtains and going help, 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 because she climbed it. She climbed it like a little mippet. Like I cannot believe that. So for me, when I saw that little boy on the sidewalk. I like fell out. Like I was like, I can't believe like this is my mother effing nightmare. What is happening right now? Now add to that, that we have a middle child who is a little runner and she is a little hider. And we had a Christmas Eve party, tons of people. She's like four, maybe three. We can't find her. We have everyone in the house searching for this child, calling for her. People are going out to the swimming pool at night looking for this baby. That little wiener was standing in the pantry, giggling her little face off, hiding from us. And I was like, I am going to die of a heart attack. <laughs> like, there's no way I make it through to their adulthood <laughs> because I am just dying right now. So... All of that being said, this would be a devastating moment with a little blind baby. It almost writes itself. I mean, there's going to be one parent that is tuned in to the issues going on with blind baby. And there's going to be one parent who doesn't know his ass from his elbow. And doesn't and probably says something like, sure, we can go to the park or something like that. And they show Toby with him holding him in the driveway and probably going to make some promise about the park not even knowing the boy knows how to get to the park and will and has the initiative and the little confidence to freaking go. So I think that about covers Kate. So let's move on to Randall's episode. Did it surprise you that Randall was like the superstar swimmer and who totally like killed it in the pool? No, no, it did not. No, no. I mean, he's the only one that stuck with the lessons. He like always is like, you know, steady Freddie doing the work that he has to do to get the outcome that he wants. And I was so proud of him. But of course, nobody's really paying that close of attention to him. Like I was kind of shocked when he's like looking over and they're just kind of waving at him. And they were like one on one, you know, working with the other kids. And I was like, wow, Randall's just like totally off on his own here as a little guy. Huge contrast, and that continues throughout the rest of the time periods. In fact, when we were comparing all three episodes and the journeys that they needed to make, it was hardest, for me anyway, for me to make that comparison with Randall. Because, yeah, like in the three block? Yeah. Yeah. Because he was 
fine, stayed fine, and is still doing fine. Um, so, <laughs> Well, okay. So I think the thing that we're seeing, though, is that little moment at the pool when he realizes what Rebecca really wants and what, what they're kind of sad about is that she wanted the five of them to go swimming. And she was like really hoping that Kate and Kevin were going to have this breakthrough day and they were all going to be able to go swimming. And so he was so savvy to, to know his brother and sister to know that if he just started teasing them a little bit and playing tag, that they would jump in with him and all five of them could actually play. So the big Big, like whoa there was that even as a little guy he could read the room and figure out how to finesse I will say the situ- situation and make everybody happy I mean that was pretty impressive for a little tiny guy yeah I can't do that now yeah <laughs> you're terrible so of course then when we get to the teenage version of Randall and we have them all get caught by the police I was actually pretty surprised that it was Randall who stepped up to talk to the cops I was most surprised that they went the route with getting caught by a cop, actually, but they needed to show us again where Randall is compared to the other two. Kate's still trapped behind bars in the pool. Kevin is holding a beer in front of a cop. And so Randall appeals to the cop's human nature. It was wild when they revealed what he actually said to the cop was that, you know, we lost our dad and there's a very real chance we won't make it. That was like heart-wrenching to hear this young guy say. Randall's always been super honest like that, hasn't he? He has. And and again, like reading the room, like things are going to shit. You know, mom's at home crying right now over Miguel leaving, which is like a completely, how are we dealing with this Miguel, my dad's best friend, you know, somewhat interested mom, or now we're thinking mom's interested in Miguel, like all this is happening. I thought it was so sweet that he had actually brought those cookies home with him and had them in his backpack. And he's the only one when they go to the diner to kind of chill out post pool incident. Um, he's the only one that thinks to call Rebecca. Yeah. And say like, we're okay. That's like, again, like kind of shocking that as siblings, they're not like, is even when I'm out with my siblings, we will like agree, like we should probably check in with mom and dad or something like that, you know? And we're very varying ages. We certainly aren't, you know, like them where you're supposed to be like triplets. And so for him to be the only one, the other two are like, it's like, wow, Randall is really the glue here. He, he keeps them in their lane. Team Kevin isn't the best version of Kevin for sure. Uh, But (laughs) Randall, yeah, let's, let's move on to, to adult Randall. Well, wait, we have to, before we, before we leave, Teen Randall, we have to say, he does make that line that he can't be arrested because he may end up being president one day. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Now, in the flash forwards, we haven't seen any Secret Service. And he's wearing like a plaid shirt that doesn't actually look very presidential or anything, That what I can remember. (laughs) But he's very gray. That's true. He's very gray. And one of the things I remember, like specifically about Obama, but really about all of our presidents they all went from looking like pretty young men to like aging terribly because the yeah. stress and the and the insanity of the job is just like so over the top. So yeah. who knows? He is very gray. <laughs> so let's see what happens. In the present day, we have, you know, again, this we're jumping off from Rebecca's announcement that Kate's going to be the healthcare decision maker after Miguel. And we pick up right away there with Randall. And again, we have talked about this so many times. They have three kids and Tess has a storyline. 
why does Annie never have a storyline? Kid never has anything going on. She never will. And we're <laughs> completely focused on Deja. Like this one, for whatever reason, I felt like, why do we have to get into this? I mean, I get it. I understand that it's like, you know, bringing that storyline to a certain place wherever they need to get it for the flash forward. And I get it that, you know, some of this is contrived in order for Rebecca and Randall to take this road trip. But man, you kept saying to me, I don't understand the level of urgency yeah. about the Deja situation. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, Beth comes whipping around the corner and is like, where's Deja? And, and they have to turn the house upside down looking for Deja and then Tess... Fesses up that, oh, yeah, she's known for hours that Deja's run off. So that's a discussion right there. Right. But let's ignore that no one acknowledged that. So the attitude is we've got to track her down, right? Like fast. Right. Like she's in peril. But then the whole rest of the journey has no urgency whatsoever. So it was a strange kind of like backdrop, right? To yeah. the whole thing. Because it was like, I know we need to get there and I know we need to hurry up and we need to deal with this. Because for all we know, Deja and Malik are packing bags at the apartment to take off to another location. Like, we don't know what's happening. I feel like they did do a decent job of having Randall be as confused as we were in some places. Where he would like look over at his mom and be like, we're having lunch now? Or like... Like, we need to stay in the car. We need to keep right, going. Right, You know? They, they sat down and had a sit-down diner lunch right. before Rebecca had started up with her needing to slow down and trust Deja. And, and the part where they're, like, basically agreeing that, well, you know, if this lasts overnight, then you should just let that happen, too. A lot of dads would be like, what the fuck are you talking like, about? I want to get there before bedtime. <laughs> exactly. I, I agree with you. I agree with you very much. So we're going to have to just suspend disbelief on some of this because as parents, I mean, I think I'd be like, mom, I hear you and I see you, but I really need to get to Deja right now. So we can talk in the car and we can go through a drive through and we can do all this stuff. But like, I think I need to deal with this. I think that's reasonable. And a lot of times Randall has a lot of anxiety. He can be a little irrational when he is super anxious about something. But this was a situation that wasn't that. Like you have a runaway teenage daughter who has expressed the desire to leave school and to move into to, to this apartment. Like this is an actual more dire situation than I feel like Rebecca's treating it. Now, maybe she has the presence of mind of, again, like we're only in our 40s. Randall's only in his 40s. She's got this much older, you know, in her 60s wisdom that maybe at our when we're in our 60s, we'll say, let them run away. Let them have a sleepover. Maybe we will have this like chill POV. But right now, I would kill our kids like because our kids are Deja's age. We would not stop driving until we got I'd be like, pee the car. <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah. Well, like, actually, I mean, at the beginning of the journey, it was she, when she said, I'm going to go with Randall a bit. Actually, I'm good. This is going to be a very high-speed pursuit. I don't think you're up for it. High-speed pursuit. So. That's so funny. Okay, I have to mention that one portion where Rebecca and Miguel actually witness the argument that precipitates the running away, right? Mm -hmm. How awkward. Like, you're talking about, I don't want to bring my mom because I don't want her to, like, witness and be a part of this high-speed pursuit, right? Yeah. I would die if my mom and Miguel forget. First of all, what's my mom doing with Miguel? <laughs> <laughs> but like if they stepped out of the bedroom 
and like stood there for this argument with my kid where she's like, I hate you. I'd be like, could you please give us a little privacy? Come on, mom. So already there was some stepping over the boundary lines, right, of what I would be comfortable with. But the biggest like what the hell moment of that, of the beginning of this whole pursuit was when they start to go and there's this weird ass outburst from Randall when he goes, or maybe we should just let Kate handle it because she handles all the big stuff now. <gasps> Excuse me, Randall Pearson? Are you speaking to your mother like that? He, I, I might he, he done did it. I might have tackled him. <laughs> It's mom. They're like, what? Was that like a low blow or what? Definitely a low blow. But he was feeling a lot of other tension, anxiety, thanks to the Deja situation. And so he really just needed to be on his way and handling his business and not get <laughs> anyone from the peanut gallery speaking up about what's going on. The way this whole episode played out, I mean, there was a lot of nice, tender moments and stuff like that. Which but- don't roll your eyes, because again, I'm saying the Deja Backdrop weirded this out for me. It really weirded it out for I me. I think they could have done this same shit just on like a, I'm going to take mom home, you take Miguel or whatever. Or maybe he makes that snotty remark and she says, you know what? I think I'm going to take a ride with you. And Miguel, you go with Beth and the girls. Because like this needs to be addressed. That would have That's been fine. enough. That would have actually been plenty of reason. And honestly, the Deja Malik situation, okay, we discussed this so much in a past episode. There is no reason for these extremes. There is no reason why they have to break up. There's no reason why they have to move in together. Freaking find a normal middle where they visit once in a while. They call all the time. They're texting all the time. Freaking, why do we have to go to this massive extreme? It was never believable for me. And I bitched about this in another episode, so I won't do it now. But I'm over that whole conversation. My only thought was that, does Malik have to be in the future then? Like, because why would we just keep up with this? What's her first love, I Well, guess. and the Pearsons are all about the, you know, circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's why we have to be here. However, let's get to the actual storyline between Randall and Rebecca because it is cute. If we just took this portion, it reminded me a ton of when Randall drives with William. Yeah. And they have this exchange of information because they don't have exactly have memories, obviously, like this, but they talk and they communicate and there's all these stories being told and it's very sweet. And, you know, they sit and have meals together and they do all these little things and it's all very wonderful. I think that it's so cute because there's been multiple times over the seasons where we've seen like Randall and Rebecca doing things kind of simultaneously. I can remember an episode where Rebecca's like sitting on the couch reading and Randall's like sitting next to her reading, like her little bopsy twin, like super cute. Mm -hmm. And there's just lots of stuff like that. Like he was always kind of like, you know, her little buddy. He'd always be around doing little things. So it was really sweet, I thought, to like walk down memory lane with them and hear about their little smile cookies at the park. Very Kate and Jack, their little day at the park and things that they do together. And I felt like there was lessons that we were supposed to be understanding that Rebecca wanted it to impart on Randall. Like this was almost like a last ditch effort in a little way because she's still like lucid where she was like, I have this opportunity to like give him some little life nuggets. I mostly remember the part where she explains her reasoning 
the way I heard it was that he'd been carrying an extra emotional load his whole life and that she didn't want to burden him any anymore. Um, is that what I was supposed to get out of out of what she told him? I mean, I think, yes, yes, that's absolutely what she said. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of guessing that it was like, oh, well, it was going to be that Kevin and Randall would argue if she chose one of them. I think so, that's true. Well, it, it didn't come up in her reasoning. So I this was like a completely different take that I hadn't really thought about. But that, you know, he had put so many things to the side. I could see where Kate also, I mean, she put stuff to the side, obviously, to stay back with Rebecca and be there for her. I don't know if it's exactly perfect as a reason, but certainly Randall was her buddy, you know, did spend so much time with her over all the years. So the natural expectation would be, why wouldn't he be her buddy to the end? So this was like a twist on that it was like, you have been by my side this entire time. You need to not have this level of responsibility for me, you know, at the end of my life, you need to be able to like fly and be independent because you've always been the guy by my side it was a real twist on it for me that i don't know as a mom if i would have thought about it that way mm -hmm. sort of the dance with who brung you attitude would might be the way you'd go yeah because you know that's how i'm kind of raised right is like you know whoever is like stuck by your side this whole time why would you ditch you know so well, but i get it the way that their relationship has worked has has been a lot of people will say trying to please her but i think more like just understanding mutual respect and under, understanding like knowing that she'd like the cookies or whatever yeah. and the other kids or don't, calling or calling right so she wouldn't worry and that stuff was just like built in a long time ago right um, he's so considerate of her things were very adversarial for a long time with the other other kids um but you have to go back and remember she kept the secret of william randall was very angry at the beginning of this whole series that's right. You know, so we can't forget that there's been fractures, you know, for them as well. Of course, they came back together, but it's not been perfect. I really think that that little clipping, the five facts about Randall Pearson article that she had been like carrying around with her. For me, that was where her whole idea of like not putting this on Randall really solidified for me. Like it was like, OK, this makes sense because she can see that he has this much larger calling on like a national level, you know, hopefully it seemed like that he needed to not be held back. And she knows like he would not move forward and make a, such a huge decision while, you know, she was having any kind of health issues. You know, he'd be the one by her side for every single appointment, you know? Right, yeah. What did you think about using this flyer and then and then showing like how she's like reading the book that he said he's reading in the article and like all that stuff? Like, were you surprised or what? It's a very this is us kind of thing. Maybe not reading the book so much, but the idea of clipping, you know, news articles and keeping those things like they showed at the end, how she had her buckets. Yeah, um, her little boxes. And uh, this, I mean, you just lived through this moment with your grandmother cleaning out her place. And it's... And even you went, oh, like, because I got my, you know, metaphorical box. Mine was a file folder, but it was like all the newspaper clippings of all the things I've done and including like this collage I must have made her in like high school I'm thinking um that was like a card I made for her like she kept everything 
she's alive. Everything's good with grandma. She's just trying to clean out and like pare down. So she's like starting to pass out some of these, you know, memory boxes and stuff to hand them back. And it was like, here's the thing. Like I can remember 10 years ago or 15 years ago when there was an article in the paper about me and in there has been over the years when she was like, she would ask me for like an extra paper. And I was like, oh, grandma, like it was like a pain in the ass to like go make sure we had an extra copy for her. And I guess in my head, I knew she was keeping them. But to actually see the stack of things that she had collected from Mm -hmm. me over the years. Yeah. It made me see that box closet and be like, we all need to start our boxes for all of our kids. Right. We have them. But yeah, I mean, (laughs) when you're living it, those moments just fly right by. You know, you might remember, oh, I was in the paper. If someone asks you how many times you've been in the paper, you might be like, I don't know a couple. And, and When we opened that folder and the first article I saw was back when I was like 20, I was like, oh my God, like, wow. I didn't even remember there was a newspaper article about that. Like, I know. That's funny. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of stuff in there that was like good memories. And I applaud Rebecca, you know, for being such a great grandma type figure to like have these and such a great mom, you know, to have had all these little clippings and stuff. I really think that the thrust of her message to him seemed to be to slow down and to take time for himself. You know, like they'd been going, going, going. She's like, I need to eat. And so when my body says I need to eat, then I need to eat, you know, and it was like very Dr. Seuss in a way is like, now I sit and eat my food, you know. And then it was like, let's have a drink and let's play darts. And then they end up having this overnight and they're brushing their little teeth together and they're reading their books. Like it was all very like methodical, but kind of in this Zen kind of way. We do these things because they nourish our little bodies. They nourish our souls. They nourish our brains. This is what we're doing, you know, and Mm -hmm. this is how we take care of ourselves. I was like taken aback at how simple the message really was. I think that's when you say like of the three, this one sticks out the most because the other two had these very complicated kind of fraught with tragedy and insanity going on in them. And while the Deja thing I think was supposed to be this fraught with insanity, it was so downplayed. And by the end of it, it's like you could interpret the message as it's okay, be a senator, which is much different than... Um, I mean, it's where they all are, but right. it's much different than leave this destructive force in your in your family that might get your kids hurt. That's a different place in life, obviously. Like the first two seem very dramatic. And, yeah. and while Randall's career path, like this is exciting and hopeful and what an amazing career move this would be for him. But it didn't feel like, like you said, like that level of like just... I can't even think of the right word. Like, well, the stakes feel different. It's not that the stakes of they were exciting being a senator, or, yeah, but it's like not as integral to like your safety and your health and your well being and your mental well being like like the other two are. Right, you're right, you're right. Like this was like a, th- for them, there was a lot of like it's time to jump. You know, like kind of like the swimming thing though. Like it was like Randall was getting it all along. You know, he's been swimming in the pool, doing his laps all along. And so he's reaching a finish line, an exciting finish line. While the other two have been like drowning, drowning. And they're like 
finally able to like breathe a He'll little bit. Be a man someday. Oh my God, that's such a strange line. <laughs> I will never feel not weird about that. Did you have any like bigger takeaways about Randall himself? Do you think this is leading to senator or president? I mean, are we even going to figure that out? Yes. One of those, at least senator. That feels like a lock. I think when he said, if I run, I'll win. I think that's right. I think um, so too. A figure like that in our world would probably do very well. You know, and given the fact that it's like 10 years in the future, who knows? Like he could actually have like a whole political career over the next like eight years or something that might include a presidential go and still be out on the other side, like retired, you know, because think of how young Obama is. Like it wouldn't be weird, you know. Well, and he only had what one term as representative before. He That's what I mean. Like it could be that fast. I, I know it sounds crazy and I'm not saying like this is like definitely going to happen or anything, but I don't know. I could see where we could be at a place where he's like actually on the other side of a successful political career, you know, mm -hmm. when we see him. Who knows? Maybe that's why he looks like kind of casual Randall <laughs> right? with his little glasses and everything. The three pack has this ending, right, where we have Rebecca going back and having this moment with her boxes. We have Deja apologizing for all of her nasty words and, you know, erasing saying the, the, the entire the, plot line. Yeah. Right. And saying, like, you're my dad. You're the only dad I've ever had. Like all this. I mean, it was very sweet, but really wrapped that up. Do we have to revisit this again? Please right. stop it. And then we have Randall telling Jaywan, like, go ahead, set it up. I want to do the meeting with the center. Like, let's do this. And Kevin going back to Madison's place with the babies. And they're kind of, they seem to be gelling and doing well again. And Kate officially saying, not moving to San Francisco. I'm not ready. Not with what's going on right now. So as a three-pack, what did you think about all of this forward motion that we got with all of the big characters here? And where do we go next with this group? Because we're halfway now. These were all meant to be the reactions from Rebecca's directive to not let their lives be small and to take the risks, big or little, whatever. So we got it. Unfortunately, Kate's is going to take a little while to play out in terms of seeing the true severity of the steps that she needs to take. Whereas the other two, yes, things still need to unroll, need to develop, but we have a good idea what that's looking like. Whereas Kate's still got some tough times ahead. I'm looking forward to like a campaign run for Randall. I'm, I'm like you said, like my stomach's in a knot really for the Kate Toby situation because I mean we have to get through a divorce in order to get to the marriage day and all that stuff. Like we, and there has to be some wooing and dating. Like she kind of has a lot of story left to tell to get to like kind of like a settled point where like if Kevin just continues to run growing a construction crew and building stuff and employing veterans and doing all that, like that could play out, you know, mm -hmm. to the end of the series. And that would be okay by me. And Randall having political aspirations and stuff and that just playing out into the future. We already finished Beth's storyline, you know, with her getting all the way to the point of showing that great success with all the dancers on the board you know, like in the future. Right. So like we know where her storyline goes. Like really Kate and Toby feel like they're going to be the focus. I have to think with us having an anniversary party, that seems like a very natural place to tell how that like first date back, because we saw the kind of like busting of Rebecca and Miguel, even though they were just friends really. But like 
We know when she gets, you know, hooked back up with him when Tess is born via Facebook. But like an anniversary party seems like a really logical time to show like a proposal or a first date as they reconnected or even their wedding. You know, like all that would be normal to show some pictures of any of those things. I wonder if we'll get some more skipping through time as we get closer to the end, because we're talking about the 10th episode currently. If they follow suit, then there's only eight to go. So that doesn't leave a lot of room for big new developments, you know, like, and this Kate thing is not going to be a two episode thing. So I wonder if like showing us why it is Miguel isn't so far in the flash forwards, you know? Yes, we um, have to figure that one out. And who is driving Jack and whomever that exactly. day? Like, it, like, where is Kate in the future? And where is, is Philip showing up there? Like, what is happening? That story also, you know, you could roll Malik back in if you wanted. But you, well, well, you Tess, see what I'm getting at. We need the, Tess, yeah, yeah, right. And Annie, like, I would like to see some of these other kids. And in all honesty, I know I read an, um, an interview with, with Fogelman, and he was saying one of his regrets is that he wished he pushed the family even further back in time because he would have liked to play out the twins and Jack and Haley and stuff more. But in order to play out the future, he would have to be showing like 2050. And he felt like he was like, I just don't feel comfortable knowing what the world's going to look like, mm. you know? And so I feel that's like, smart. yeah. And so he was like, I, that's my like regret is that if I had shoved them even further back, like if Jack and Rebecca happened in the 1950s, then I could have played out more of the family, you know, which leans into spinoff land in my brain or a kind of thing where he lets it lie for a couple of years and then comes back and does some sort of spinoff then, you know, where time has actually passed. So he's just showing the present, you know, and he doesn't have to guess what the world looks like. We're right. there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think people want to see how that Miguel Rebecca situation works because we said this is Rebecca's season. So we probably need some more Rebecca, you know, of like, what else is she going through with the progression of her disease? What else is happening as she's coming to end of life? Like Jax was sudden, Hers is kind of planned. You know, what are the things that she's thinking about? What is like a bucket list thing or anything like that we have going on? Good call. I could see like there being some really respectful episodes about like, what if you're somebody who has an illness and you know you're going to be passing away? How does that look versus the night your dad died in an instant, you know, and it plays out differently. But right away, we know we're getting baby Jack alone on the street with his little cane. <laughs> what a way to end it, Paul. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, thank you guys so much for being patient and, and, and hopefully enjoying this three block that we did for you guys. We felt like there was so many overlapping scenes that we just wanted to put this in one big package for you guys. Um, but that did mean some quiet weeks for you. So hopefully you're enjoying this and we will see you guys back next week. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A high rating helps other people find the podcast and enjoy super sods like this one. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.